to the Founder Story Podcast, where we learn from entrepreneurs about their journey from their first inspiration to their first employee, and even the steps they took to become the powerhouses they are today. Welcome, everybody, to the Founder Story Podcast. My name is Rick Porter. Very excited to bring to you our guest today. So today's guest is Michael Barbera from Real Living Barbera Associates. I think that's the first time I've ever used your full name, and it felt awkward calling you Michael. Um, I've actually known Mike for a really long time, but I'm going to read you a short bio, and then I'll let you actually tell us a lot about your company. So Real Living is a 24-plus agent real estate firm specializing in residential sales and commercial sales and leasing throughout Massachusetts and Rhode Island with over $75 million in annual sales. I don't even know if I got your updated bio. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about your yourself uh, and real living. Sure. Fortunately, we can uh, update a couple of those metrics. Um, so we're now a 30-agent brokerage. We've got 30 agents spread over two offices. Our brick-and-mortar locations are in Worcester and Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, but we've got agents that live throughout the state. We also maintain licensing in Connecticut, uh, Rhode Island, of course, Massachusetts, and uh, soon-to-be New Hampshire as well for some of those border towns. Um, but the rest of it is pretty accurate. Nice. <laughs> Very good. So the Founder Story podcast, we're all about hearing the founder story, right? How you started the company, how you built the company. Um, so we're going to dive right into it and just let you ramble on and tell us your founder's story. So sure. what is your founder story? It's, it's always tricky for me, actually, to go back and, and think of what the origin story is or, or better yet, how to explain it properly. Um, in some ways, it's a generational company. In other ways, it's not. Um, so my father started a real estate brokerage in 1999. Uh, prior to that, he was a special education teacher, uh, owned some investment real estate, so I had some background in real estate. Uh, started the brokerage in 99. Uh, in 2002, I uh, obtained licensure in Massachusetts uh, while I was finishing up high school. Um, minimum age was 18, still is 18. So I got my licensure at that point, uh, went on to, to college in, in Rhode Island and dabbled part-time, uh, graduated in 06. At that time, uh, my father had a, a pretty good uh, independent brokerage. I think they had around 30 agents. Uh, so actually, ironically, right around where we were, uh, where we are now, rather, in terms of agent count. Um, so independent brokerage at that point, uh, 06, 07, I started getting more into the residential sales. Uh, and then 2008 happened, uh, and anyone who was around at that time remembers that it was not a pleasant time to be engaged in the real estate brokerage or real estate owning uh, business. So the brokerage uh, quickly um, descended, of course, as, as just about all of them did. It was a virtual shutoff of, of transactional volume, and in 2008, uh, our company did 33 transaction sides for $6 million in gross sales volume, wow. which is extremely low and not even close to uh, sufficient business and to generate. You were already working in the business? At or? that point, yeah. So wow. I was I was a real estate agent within the business. Yeah. So at that point, my father was running the management uh, side of it, and I was- You were uh, hustling. Exactly. I was you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to frankly, just trying to sell enough real estate to keep the doors open. Yeah. There was no prospect of really taking any money out. There was no money to take out of the business. Uh, so at that point, um, we started looking for options, you know, basically a lifeline, trying to figure out some way to keep things rolling. And, um, you know, perhaps a combination of ego and, uh, and I don't know what else, but we decided to, to push forward. Uh, at that point, my father, being perhaps a bit older and wiser than myself, realized that an exit from uh, this particular business was probably wise. So at that time, he launched a property management company. And this was still in 2008 or was this so a couple years around, later? All around 2008. Okay. So this this is all actually contained within 2008. So he launched that company. 
Uh, and at that time, we started looking into franchise options again to try to find something that would elevate us out of this uh, the situation that we were in. Um, now, when you say franchise options, you're talking about franchising your company or buying into a franchise? Apologies, let me clarify. Yes, buying into a franchise. Okay. So, you know, essentially, we, we, we didn't have a lot of, you know, the, the company was kind of built during a real estate run-up. Yeah. So it was it was a time where, where real estate seemed sales easy were, at the time. Exactly. And it didn't require a whole lot of organization and, and systems. Of course, it would have benefited from it, but it wasn't a requirement. There was ample uh, revenue being generated just to kind of go out there and do it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that was great for that time. But when when the circumstance changed, the systems weren't re- just weren't there. Uh, so it, it made it extremely difficult to, to function. Uh, so we concluded that a franchise might be a good option. Uh, reviewed several of them. At that time, we, we uh, assessed Real Living, which was a, uh, then a privately owned franchise out of Columbus, Ohio. It was owned by a family. Uh, so we were, uh, I think there actually was one other one in Massachusetts in Northboro at the time. Uh, we signed on. Uh, my father pursued his property management company. And at that time, I sort of unofficially took control took of the company. Um, so for several years after that point, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a struggle. 2009, yeah. 10, 11 Property values plummeted. Uh, there was a ridiculous excess of inventory. Much of it was bank-owned foreclosures in very difficult conditions. So as those sold, uh, the average price points were dropping down further and further. And I, you know, I don't need to tell anybody who was at all around during that time just what a, what a devastating time it was for a lot of just the public. Yeah. Uh, home ownership was just a really difficult thing. A lot of people in default. Uh, it was just it was a really really hard time. So if I can, I have to pause you there. Yeah. It's two thousand eight. Yep. The economy is what it is. You yep. see that decline in your business. Dad says, hey, I'm going to shift. I'm going to go over to property management. What made you stick with it versus saying, it's time to get out of here. It's it's too risky to be an entrepreneur. I don't necessarily want to take the reins. Yep. Um, did you ever consider going and getting a job versus being an entrepreneur? Or did you just... It's a brief consideration. Uh, so to answer your question, <laughs> na- naivety and, and perhaps a little uh, little excess ego or, or whatever it may have been, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a strategic decision. Um, and, you know, when I, when I look back and I try to run my company so strategically now, uh, then it was probably an emotionally based decision. Um, and even in retrospect, maybe not even wise. It may have been wiser to, to pause, shut down, and then restart. Um, but I, that's not what I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I decided to push through and, and basically generating revenue by selling myself. Yep. So by, by trying to sell as many homes as I could, get the dollars coming in uh, and, and just literally keep the doors open. Yep. That was the game plan at that oh. point, uh, or lack thereof now uh, upon <laughs> <laughs> the benefit of hindsight. Gotcha. So you're now, you got your reins about it. You're, you're researching the franchises, Real Living. Did you look into several of them and Real Living caught your eye? What caught your eye about Real Living? So uh, I do want to recognize it was Brian Allen, uh, an agent who's still with our company today, that, that actually brought Real Living onto our radar. Okay. Um, by comparison, it was an exceedingly uh, small organization compared to the, the big ones that you've heard of, the you know the Remaxes yeah. and Coldwell and uh, those those mega franchisers. Um so there was something appealing about that, and we went down uh, to Columbus and assessed the company. And they had, you know, this was back uh, when it was unusual to have like a ping pong table in the uh, in the reception area. Yeah, you cultures know, weren't had, what yeah, they are today. <laughs> exactly, but it had that kind of cool vibe, which appealed to me. I was, uh, I think, twenty six years old at the time. Actually, maybe yeah, right around twenty. No, I would have been uh, sorry, twenty four years old at the time. So I was young. So yeah. I, and and that uh, that kind of non corporate culture uh, was very appealing to me. Uh, the people that we met there uh, were appealing, so we decided to to move forward with it. 
difficult, you know, very difficult to, to gauge how the franchise actually affected our business during that time because it was such a dynamic uh, time in the market. Yeah, not much probably could have made an, a major impact immediately. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it, it did give us uh, some opportunity to, to rebrand. So just that in and of itself, uh, when you have the opportunity to rebrand, it's it can be viewed as a burden or, or as a tremendous opportunity. And I chose to embrace it as the latter. Um, new logo, new opportunity to get in front of all of our past clients and the public and, and to have a new marketing message, you know, same great company, new brand, uh, new colors, all those types of things. Um, so it, it, it uh, provided a little bit of motivation and, and again, another opportunity just to uh, to get out you guys, it sounds exactly. like, really. Exactly, because, you know, obviously anyone who's ever uh, run a company or been part of a company, there's a, an element of morale that is the fuel. And uh, when you're in a, a difficult financial situation, morale is very difficult. So, uh, to keep up. So uh, just having something new and fresh, uh, you know, gives you some more fuel to go do what you need to be doing. Yeah. So to give us a, give us an accurate picture of where you guys are at after you've rebranded and or starting to rebrand and stuff like that. At the time, you guys had 30 brokers, right, or 30 agents. Did yeah. you guys lose a lot of those during that time? Did a lot of them stay aboard? But they, you know, like you said, there's only 33 transactions. What did the company look like at that time? So uh, we'll start quickly with how real estate brokerages or most real estate brokerages are structured because it actually has a lot of bearing on that the answer to that question. So uh, most brokerages have very lean corporate structure and then all of the agents are, are independent contractors. So it's essentially an umbrella and then a collection of independent contractors underneath that umbrella. Um, so we specific, particularly at that time didn't have any payroll there was nothing that needed to be paid out. So the agents are compensated on a, on a pro proportion of the revenue that they generate. Also at that time, uh, one of what I now recognize as, as a misstep was that we, we covered the entirety of all costs associated with being a real estate agent. Um, so we did have expenditures going out. Uh, so we had to make some modifications at that point. And to answer your question, yes, of course, we had some uh, attrition. Um, so as agents were, were not producing income, they're 100% commission-based. So rapidly they would, they would self-remove. Some of them might have got, went and got jobs. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody had to do what they had to do to, to scramble. So, sure. um, And the other issue uh, that we had at that stage in our business is our record keeping was poor. So I can't even go back and tell you how many agents we had in a particular time. It wasn't yeah. until actually well into my years of, of running it that I realized the the uh, paramount importance of knowing your numbers financially and then also uh, just good organization to know, uh, just be able to track and, yeah. and be able to correct course uh, along the way. And you guys obviously, to get to where you are today, did a lot of course correcting and things like that. What is it simple trial and error? Is it education? Is it key employees? What what kind of brought some of that stuff to light and made you to, you know, got you to adjust and put in some of the strategic thinking that you have now? Is there anything in particular that you kind of contribute to that? Sure. Uh, the deepest lessons are learned by trial and error. Yeah. No question about it. The ones that sting you the financially. Ones that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and those lessons remain. Those are part of my DNA now and in, in, in so far as it relates to business. Um, the other thing that we got uh, in terms of primary benefits from the network relationship, and this was actually in more recent years, I'd say from 2015 on, I started taking more advantage of some of the networking events with our franchise uh, and meeting other franchisees throughout parts of the country. So one of the great things that we do is we do uh, what's called pace setters. So it's a peer review group. So twice annually, we'll meet on site at a co-franchisee location. Excuse me, co-franchisee's location, uh, and for three days we will dissect their business. We 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 bear all. We we open the books. We we look at everything. And a group of ten to fifteen uh, other brokerage owners 
will comment and, and um, you know, provide advice and things. So it's, it's just a fantastic mastermind. And if I can point to one thing, that type of uh, open communication with other business owners to, to determine where pitfalls are, what may be successful, that catapulted and that allowed me to make learn some lessons without having to pay, uh, you know, essentially figuratively write a big check for them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. And so the things that you learned in those mastermind groups, were they easy to implement? Were they things that, you know, were, were no brainers? And, and, and is there any one? Do you ever remember like one little adjustment or was it just a ton of micro adjustments over the years to to get traction? That's a good question, and I, I, I mean, the, the single singular adjustment that probably had the best effect, and I can't say, I can't even trace specifically where it came from, but is that math? I call it math. Knowing your knowing your numbers, you've yeah. got to track where you are, where you're going. You've got to be able to make those corrections, not at the end of the year when it's time to submit everything to the uh, accountant, but but during the year to to know. And it's still something that I don't have a nat- natural inclination toward, so I still have to work at that every day to you know, realize, remember the importance of it and the timing of it as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's, would, that's the single thing. That's the biggest misstep that we made before was when, when money's when revenue's rolling in, uh, it hides a lot of, uh, sins. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, are you the type that, that do you like to outsource some of that stuff or is it something you like to keep a, a tight control over? I know myself, I, it's like one of the last things I ever want to let go of. I just, I feel like it's too important for me. So I've, I've been very, very difficult for me to let go. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I liken the mind the idea of me doing it. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that I don't follow through. Uh, so I, I've been forced to out, outsource it. And, you know, in my perfect world, everything would be delivered to me so that I can assess it. Um, but, you know, in, in a, we're still a medium-sized company, so there's still some element of bootstrapping. And, and yep. with my scaling and my growth goals, uh, it necessitates that. So I'm still pretty actively involved in, in that part of it. But we do hire, uh, you know, financial uh uh, resources uh, actually referred by yourself. <laughs> oh, the yeah, accountant, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> the CPA. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and uh, that's been that's been transformative too to have some some good professional help and just another set of eyeballs. You know, there's a lot of danger in developing uh, protocols and systems for your company in an absolute vacuum. Uh, so, a through comment, uh, you know, having discussion with peers in the business and also discussion with peers outside of the business. Uh, and also in, in incorporating the use of professionals to, to kind of provide some oversight and get some some other vantage points and some other opinions on some of the actions that you're taking uh, is a necessary a very necessary uh, part of the growth. I think makes sense. So was Dad still in the picture at this time, um, or or is he kind of off and focusing on the property management? Was he still heavily involved, or did he completely turn over the reins to you? It was it was probably about a, if I remember it correctly, I'd say maybe a one to two year uh, transition. Uh, and relatively informal, as sure. he and I tend to be. Uh, we've got a tremendously strong personal relationship. So, um, you know, much of what we do as he was build, building his business, I had some involvement in that, not in a traditional uh, employee or, or business tradi- you know, uh, sense, but we would just, there was always some sort of overlap there. But I'd say after two years, he, two years or so, he was probably uh, entirely remote, removed gotcha. from any type of day-to-day operations. So I think a lot of people always are wondering during that two-year period or, or in general, um, how it is coming into a family business and what that, how that dynamic is. And for, for you guys, it sounds like it was successful. It, it was, um, yeah, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I would have done it differently. I would have very clearly defined what the roles were to be through the transition. Yep. We wound up with a lot of redundancy. Uh, we, uh, I don't know how, how diverging they were at that point, but at this point we've got very different business styles. Um, so that created some, it never got to the point of conflict. Again, our, our personal relationship was such that it, you know, 
I don't see business ever getting uh, you know to a point where it would be a problem. Not I mean at a very acute level, sure. of course, there's some conflict, but um, but by and large it, that wasn't the issue. But I think it definitely slowed uh, progress. Sure, uh, because we were we you had we certain plans, and Dad yeah. might have had different plans. And it, yeah, and it wasn't like we were butting heads. We were just duplicating tasks. It wasn't clear who was doing what. We didn't really have direction. Plus, we're still you know we talk about 2008 like it was a single bad year. It wasn't. It had you know there were five years that followed it. Uh, that were still what we, what people call a quote-unquote bad real estate market, but a, a, certainly a very challenging market depending, uh, I'll say this, a challenging market from the real estate brokerage standpoint. If you were a real estate investor from 2008 to 2013, not challenging at all. You were doing very, very well in a lot of cases. Uh, well, I guess even that, that is nuanced. Uh, I guess your portfolio <laughs> is probably worth less than it was, but if you were in an acquisition mode, uh, a lot of a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Always opportunity. No yeah. market's ever good or bad. Yeah, Always absolutely. opportunistic. So, I, I mean, I like the idea of you guys rebranded, restructured. You're, you've completely taken the reins now. You've learned lessons through your peer networking groups and stuff like that. Um, bringing in new business. Was it mostly, I mean, because obviously you guys, over $75 million, uh, in annual sales at this point. Um, that business obviously has grown. Is, is it, I, I, it can't all just be the natural state of the economy and things like that. Um, is there, what type of things did you guys do to bring in that business through your different agents or, or, or th- with the new rebranding? What are the different things you guys did to, to grow the business? Sure. So at the company level, it's, it's, uh, almost entirely a branding campaign. That's the, the idea is to generate branding, but more importantly than that, I, I can't overemphasize the, the distinction between company employee relationships in most companies and our unique uh, broker and independent contractor yeah. relationships. So the way I really and truly view our business is, is as an incubator. So I've got these 30 agents uh, that have chosen to affiliate with our brokerage. Uh, hopefully after careful consideration, they've determined that's the best pay- place for them to grow their individual business. These are 30 individual businesses. Now we, we make sure that we've got consistency in uh, above all our ethical practices um, but also in, in a lot of our branding and the way that a lot of the verbiage and terminology that we use is, is unique from other uh, real estate companies. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to driving business, it's teaching these agents how to, or, or assisting these agents, I should say. Some of them come to our company already successful from other companies, and, and we, we work with them individually. So that's what my passion is. My passion is is either helping an agent start from the ground up or bringing them from level 8 to level 10 uh, with whatever I can possibly do to, to help them uh, generate more business and, and have a more fulfilling career in life. Yeah, it, it certainly is a unique business model because, you know, when you think about who your customer is, like you, your customer, it's actually not the homeowner from the sounds of it. It's the real it's the real estate agents. You're trying to attract them to your company in order to, for them to bring in sales. So it, it does seem like a lot of the branding you do, a lot of the messaging you do, um, needs to also attract them. Yeah, it's I, I it's kind of a macrocosm and a microcosm. So you know, my ag- agents day to day function a lot of a large portion of that is prospecting, generating new opportunities, building relationships. It's no different at at what my my function is just a slightly different variation of that. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still prospecting for other agents that could be a good fit for our brokerage. Uh, I'm still building relationships with both end use clients, buyers and sellers of homes, and real estate professionals. So it's it it really um, as I grow and as I develop and as I um, learn things that that help me in my business that's it's easily correlated right or trans uh, translated I guess back into the uh, their prism or the, or the the lens through which they operate their business uh, so it's nice and then I also learn from them too you know we've I've, 
the collection that we have uh, of, of agents that never ceases to amaze me. We've got some tremendously uh, talented people, and I, I learn from them as much as uh, I teach and, and vice versa. It really is a, a two-way street in every regard. We just have slightly different functions of what our targets are. I love it. So um, great story. Um, any plans for the future? You moving into new states, just looking for a group? continue great agents to add to the agency you have any plans for the future yeah so uh so we're obtaining the licensure in new hampshire as well which is not not a a big part of a strategic plan we have no uh intentions at this moment of opening anything uh, over state lines um i appreciate the idea of scaling and of course we've we've scaled our company although as as you'll remember back in 2008 where our agent count is about the same but we're um 10x uh, in Producers. terms of production from yeah. that time, and even adjusted for for um, you know market conditions, even in the peak years, 04 and 05, we're three to four x uh, in production than uh, you know versus where we were then. Um, so it, it's a, it's more of a refinement type of a strategy. Um, so I'm okay if I could have 30 agents uh, at a production level, you know, uh, commensurate with with the, my top agents. Um, you know, the agents that produce the most, I shouldn't say top, the agents that produce the most, then that is an effective growth strategy too. Yeah, That, that dwarfs in quality it, versus over quantity. That's exactly. You said it much more concisely yeah. than me, which isn't hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's vitally important. And that's, that's a, a point that I, uh, I, I really, it's, it's so central to, to my ethos and, and the company's ethos is that we do not hire based on, on production solely at all. It's quality of people. The culture has to work. Uh, I don't ever want to create an, an environment where one person doesn't want to walk into the office because they see a certain car in the driveway. Not the way we're going to we're gonna operate ever. Uh, and, and dollars will not change that. So we hire the, the highest caliber of people that we possibly can. We assist them to, to conduct the highest level of skilled uh, assistance and counseling to their client base as possible. At the end of the day, all I care about truly is is a collection of happy past clients. Yeah, absolutely. And the rest, the rest sorts itself out. Yeah, and I can definitely personally attest to that. You've so you've personally <laughs> helped me uh, buy two houses myself, and I've probably six or seven referrals, and everybody's always been happy. Love the people that you've put, uh, you know, my referrals in contact with. So uh, I can attest to that. You guys do do a great job, and the quality is certainly there with the agents. So. Can't tell you how much that means to me as someone uh, like you who I respect and, and admire uh, in a business sense um, that your assessment of our, not not just of myself, but of our the other agents that have worked with your agents and you continue to refer people to us, that is all the validation that I need. Yeah. And like I said, the business pieces fall into place after that. But if, if every client is as thoroughly satisfied as you are, uh, then we don't have to worry about scaling. Yeah. Scaling will take care of that. That is your plan for the future. <laughs> Ex- exactly. <laughs> um, but one, one thing, geographically, I, we, we do have... Uh, I think that there are some places that we can improve. We've got a we've got a great cluster of agents in the greater Boston market, a great cluster in the greater Worcester market. Uh, I think that we do have some space to fill in some gap in Metro West. We do a fair amount of business in that in that market as well. Uh, but that's something that I would like to expand in the near future. Love it. So before we let you get out of here, how if if I'm a homeowner homeowner but looking to buy a house or sell a house, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Uh, so contact information: reallivingbarbera.com. Uh, is our website. Uh, you can contact uh, myself at the office, 508-852-4227. 
Uh, and we'll, what I like to do is have a, a brief conversation and, and get to know what your desires are, what your, ge- your desired geography is, and then we'll make sure that we fit you with the right agent, not just the next one who's available. Perfect. And as we talked about, you have two types of customers. You got that end customer, but you also have those brokers. What about if I'm a broker and I'm looking to join the team and become an affiliate? Uh, same. How do they get a hold of you? So contact information would be the same. Please make sure that you do get directly to, to me. Uh, and we'll have a strictly confidential conversation. Again, we're, we're very selective in our hiring process. Uh, we, it has to be a good fit, and that comes from a place of I don't want to just pad our numbers and, and increase our agent count. Um, if I don't think I can bring value to your business, I will tell you that straight up, and I've done it many times. We've had interviews with people that produce that would have added to our bottom line, uh, but I didn't feel like I could bring value to them and or we weren't the right cultural fit. And it may not work, but I would invite anybody certainly to let's have the conversation. There's absolutely no harm. It's 100% confidential. I love it. Mike, good to see you again. Thanks for sharing your founder story with us. My distinct pleasure, Rick. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Founder Story Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And don't forget to check out some of the other great stories.